Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning. Yeah, it was okay. Good morning. Yeah, there we go. We're still alive. Well, welcome this morning. Um, my name is Rick Line. I'm one of the elders here at Sun Valley, and it's my uh, distinct um, honor and um, to bring the word of the Lord to you this morning. Um, I would I would ask that as Rick has already prayed for, there's many hurting in our in our body. Um, for, for many reasons. If you know them, uh, make sure that you're making it a point to pray for them and uh, seeking to minister to them and communicating encouragement to them however you can. Uh, Pastor John included in that. He's, um, I think, day, on, day 11 or something like that, and, or 12 or 13 uh, with this COVID deal, and he's not really feeling much better than he was at the beginning. So um, just keep him and others in your prayers if you would. Well, this morning we want to discover together um, what the Lord has to say in the Bible about hope. As we come to the very near to the end of this year that was 2020, we look back on all that has happened, and man, has a lot happened, hasn't it? If you had to capture the circumstances of this past year in just a few words, I wonder which words you might choose. What come to your mind when you think of descriptors of this last year? Would words like chaos, injustice, disorder, unrest, violence, fear? How about the word hopeless? Would any of those things come to your mind when you think about the events that have uh, unfolded um, in our lives in this last year? How many of you perhaps have felt the tug of hopelessness in your own heart? How many folks do you know or have you interacted with that have lost hope? or are in the process of losing hope. There could be any number of issues you could point to that have taken place and wished for some silver lining to appear, some glimmer of light that could flood the darkness, some sign that things are going to get better. Would you agree with me that our world is clamoring for hope? Everywhere we turn, we see the destructive path of sin and brokenness, 2020 has indeed been quite a year. Recently, a friend who was going through some intense struggles, and I sent him a little note trying to encourage him. I figured that I didn't have any magical words um, that would ease his suffering. There was no formula to offer that would alleviate his pain. And so I turned to the only source of foundational encouragement I know of, the Bible. And the verse that I shared with him was found in Romans 15, 13, which says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. As Christians, we say we have hope, but what is hope? What is true hope? That's what we want to uncover this morning from God's word. But how does the world define hope? I looked at Webster's Dictionary uh, to find a beginning to that answer. And according to Webster, if you use the word hope as a noun, it means a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. If you use the word hope as a verb to hope in something, Webster says that means to want something to happen or to be the case. And I think this fits pretty nicely with how the world thinks of hope in general. 
In the middle of a difficult circumstance, we have an intense desire or a sense, however vague that sense might be, that things will turn out better, that things will turn a corner. And those hopes may not really be based on concrete evidence that things will get better, but mere wishful thinking. Does anyone relate to that? And I really hope that the Seahawks win today. Well, there may be a chance that they don't, but we hope that they do. It's not really based on any evidence that they will, but it's our desire, our strong desire. Or maybe more importantly, I hope that this COVID thing gets under control and we can all get back to normal. Is that a hope that you sometimes wonder may not happen? And yet we say we hope that it does. It's an idea that things, things won't be bad forever, but we'll turn around. In fact, just this last week, Vice President Pence was receiving his COVID vaccine, and, and maybe you saw that uh, newscast when he did, or the press conference when he did. And one of the things that he said is, with a smile on his face, hope is on the way. Hope is on the way. But what does that actually mean? I recall a quote in, uh, in a book that I read about World War II of a French citizen upon hearing that the Allies were coming and said, hope is coming, I hope. <laughs> now, how does that sum up hope for you in the, in the worldly system? I hope hope is coming, right? And in such times that we're living in, maybe more than ever in our lifetimes, we need to know and experience true hope, not just wishful thinking. But how is this possible? And what does the Bible have to say about hope? Well, surely in, in one sermon, we're not going to capture or exhaust all there is to learn about true hope from the Bible. But perhaps we can gain a good overview that will cause us to remember the unshakable hope that we can have. So what is a biblical understanding of hope? Well, I want to start with uh, my definition of biblical hope and, uh, hope, and I trust that this will stick with your heart and mind. I'm defining biblical hope this way. Hope is the confident expectation, the sure certainty that, God has pro- that what God has promised in the Bible is true, has occurred, or will occur in accordance with God's faithfulness. Let me read that again. Hope is the confident expectation, the sure certainty that what God has promised in the Bible is true, has occurred, or will occur in accordance with God's faithfulness. The word hope is a frequent used word in the Bible. In fact, The word uh, that we translate hope is used in the Bible 164 times and is a common theme in both the Old and New Testaments. And we're going to take a few moments to look at what Old Testament hope looked like and what New Testament hope looks like. So what does hope look like in the Old Testament for those that followed after God then? In the Old Testament, there were two Hebrew words that were primarily used Uh, that are generally translated hope, or many times you'll see them as to wait. Commonly in the Psalms, you'll see, I wait upon the Lord. We could actually uh, translate that to say, I hope in the Lord. And many times those words, wait and hope, are found in the the very same verse. There are two primary words. One is yachal, which means to wait, 
or to eagerly anticipate. We, each of us, probably had some amount of eager anticipation for Christmas to come. I know it's certainly true for my children. They eagerly awaited that, that um, Christmas would come and we would wake up on the morning and celebrate together. So yachal is a common word uh, in the Hebrew to, to um, communicate the word hope. The other is chava, chava. And it comes, it's interesting because it comes from the root word for a tightly pulled string or cord. A rope or a string. The idea is that a person is bound securely together with another or to the idea of something. I'm bound together with either a person or to something, an object. The word uh, was used to describe a hopeful person as being bound securely to the fulfillment or um, the truth of God's promises. And what I want you to picture this morning is, is a, a tug of war for just a moment. Now, I could stand up here with, with Pastor Rick Whitmer, and we could both hold on to the end of a rope and, and play tug of war. And it's possible that he could beat me and pull me his direction, or it's possible that I could beat him and pull him my direction. Okay? It might depend on just who's stronger that day. Okay? But that's not the idea that's, that's taken here with this word chava or this tight rope that connects securely two people. It isn't a, a game of tug of war. In fact, the, the point of this word is that we are bound securely to God. And as we'll see here in the verses we're going to read in just a moment, we find that this source that we are connected securely to is immovable. I'm never going to pull God my way, right? And in fact, all of my hopes, all of my aspirations are connected to the fact that God, who keeps and makes promises, is secure and immovable. God's people throughout the Old Testament are seen as awaiting people, connected to their God. But what, or rather, for whom were they waiting or hoping for? What immovable truth were they tethered to, as with a rope? I want to read, share with you several verses Psalm 33:18 Behold the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him on those whose hope is in his steadfast love Psalm 33:22 Let your steadfast love O Lord be upon us even as we hope in you Psalm 39:7 And now O Lord for what do I wait my hope is in you Psalm 42:5 why are you so downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. Psalm 43, 5 continues the same tune. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And just as a side note, whenever a verse is repeated more than once in scripture or an idea is repeated many times that's probably something you should pay attention to why are you so downcast put your hope in god our salvation psalm 62 5 for god alone O my soul wait in silence for my hope is from him isaiah 8 17 i will wait for the lord who is 
hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Jeremiah 14.8 says, O you, hope of Israel, its savior in time of trouble. It's referring to God as hope. God's name is hope in that verse. And we see something similar in Jeremiah 17.13. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. These are the cries of, of the people of the Old Testament who are tethered to their God, the immovable, the unshakable, the steadfast. And they were anchoring their soul to him who could hold them forever. As long as God's people had roamed the earth, they longed for, they waited for, they hoped for his promised salvation and the promised one who would bring that salvation namely the Messiah. And that waiting goes all the way back to the first verses of Scripture where man had fallen into sin and yet God promised that he would send a Savior. So God's people waited in hope for that Savior to come. But what was it that fueled their hope for this future salvation? What is it about a promise or about a promise giver that would elicit such confident expectation that we are calling hope. To put simply, the reason that God's people put their hope in God and in his promises are because of the overwhelming evidence that he had been faithful and powerful to accomplish all his purposes and promises in the past. And this is the first blank that's in your bulletin if you're following along. The point is this, they had to look back in in order to hope forward. They had to look back in order to hope forward. In order to hope for the future salvation that God had promised, they had to look back on God's mighty works and his faithful demonstrations of his love for them. This is why we see God commanding his people to stack stones at various points. You remember those stories in the scripture? They would cross the Red Sea in a mighty act of God's power And God say, take some stones out of the middle and stack them up on this other side so that when your kids ask, what are these stones for, dad and mom? What will you say? This is proof, this is evidence of when God came through for us, when God kept his promises. I want to share with you some other scriptures that that carry this theme of looking back in order to hope forward. Psalm 30, 130, verses 5 through 8. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. Again, that word wait could be translated hope. And in his word, I hope. In his promises. My soul waits for the Lord. More than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Psalm 147, 11, But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Psalm 33, 22 again, Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Why would God's people hope in him? Because he'd proven himself steadfast and immovable at every point. I love these words from Psalm 78, verses 1 through 7. Give ear, O people, to my teaching. 
Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but tell them to the coming, gener- to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Note that what it says there. God's people are saying, we are not going to be failing in telling the next generation after us what God had done for us in the past. We are going to not only remember what God has done, but we are going to communicate those things to the generations that come after us. Why? So that they would put their hope in God. We'll tell them the glorious deeds of his might. It continues in verse 5. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. We need the generations that come after us to know the mighty deeds of God. Just as we were told the mighty deeds of God by someone, we need to turn until the next generation, it even says here, and yet those unborn. We need to be prepared to tell every generation what God has done. And he concludes with the reason why we need to tell them these things. Verse 7, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. We need to remember back so that we will have hope going forward. Psalm 71, verses 14 through 18, which we just heard from Tyler a few minutes ago. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. I love, I love, I love that sentiment. The psalmist is praying to God to preserve his life, even in his old age. And why? God, grant me a long life. Why? So that I can accumulate more things? So that I can enjoy my retirement? What's the purpose of his prayer for long life? God, keep me around long enough so that I can tell everyone that comes after me the deeds of the Lord. That I can use every breath that I have to proclaim your might. That I can proclaim the hope that I have in you, your steadfast love and your mighty works. Oh, that that would be our prayer. So in the Old Testament, the past buoyed God's people, it buoyed their hope and their expectation that God would come through just as he had promised to do and would indeed save them. But what about in the New Testament? What does hope look like in the New Testament? And thus, what does it look like in our lives as followers of Christ? 
Well, just like in the Old Testament, and just like the Old Testament saints, we too are waiting for the promised Messiah to return. And this promise fuels our hope. The Savior has come, and he will come again. But also, like them, we look back as well in order to hope forward. But what do we as Christians look back to in order that our hope would abound? Well, the first thing that we look back to is an advent. An advent. We look back to the coming of our Savior to the earth, to the arrival and birth of the Son of God. Luke 2, 10 and 11 declare, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Just as we've probably sung recent, in recent days this great Christmas hymn, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in him tonight. You sang those words. Did you know them? Did you realize what you were saying? The hopes of all the years. Everything that those Old Testament saints had hung their hope on is coming to true is coming to fruition in this moment. The angels were declaring. The Savior had come. God has been faithful. He did send his Savior. At the Advent, we celebrated the birth of our Savior, Jesus. I trust that for you, brothers and sisters, that your celebrations of Christmas these last days have affirmed the hope that you have in the Lord because the Savior did indeed come. But not only do we look to an Advent, We look to a cross. We look to a cross. 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24, Paul is saying this is is our ministry. He says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We look back to the cross where that promised Savior died to take the punishment for our sins and our rebellion. We look to a cross. We've got one right here. Our hope came. Our hope came as a baby. And the one that we placed our hope in died in our stead. He was crucified for our sin, for our rebellion. He took the punishment for us. But not only do we look back to the Messiah's birth, not only do we look to his death on a cross, but what do you notice about the cross as you look at it? Anything in particular? Is there anything on it? No. (laughs) Because what was on it was taken off and put into a grave. But that grave, just like the cross has nothing on it, that grave has nothing in it. So we look back to an empty tomb. We look back to an empty tomb. If anything should build our hope, 
It is to know that the tomb in which our Savior was placed stands empty this day. Our Lord did not stay dead, but in three days he rose again in victory over sin and over death in order that all who would trust that he died in their place because of their sins, that they could know that his sacrifice was accepted by the Father and could have the assurance of eternal life. A couple of scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19 and following. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep. If Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, you and I would remain dead in our trespasses and sins without hope of eternal life. But indeed, as it says in verse 20, Christ has been raised from the dead. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are, fall, who are asleep or dead, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. You see, even in physical death, God's people's hope is tethered to something that is secure. That is a risen Savior who is alive and guarantees our life. 1 Timothy 4.10 For to this end we toil and strive because we have set our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. He is living. 1 Peter 1, 3-5, which we read this morning um, after we had confessed our sins, says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Here's a a truth that I want to give to you this morning. Even if you don't feel like you have hope, God is keeping it for you. So like all the saints who have gone before us, who have died in faith, and we sang a song just a moment ago calling them the church triumphant. They're experiencing all the pleasures of the promises of God in flesh now. So to all the saints who have gone before us, the church triumphant, and to those who toil side by side with us now, We call ourselves the church militant. We're still battling together, aren't we? We set our hope on our living God and his very precious promises in scripture. We look back to see the unfailing track record of God's faithfulness and it propels us to have hope 
for the future. But what is it that we are hoping for? I want to draw your attention to a couple of scriptures. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. What is it that we are hoping for? What drives our eager expectation? Romans 8, starting in verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he also called, he called, he also justified. And to those whom he justified, he also glorified. Verse 35, skipping there. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's hope for now, guys. That's hope for today. Nothing, no circumstance that you face can separate you because of Christ from his love. Paul said in Philippians 1.6 that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. Nothing can separate us from God's love. He is doing the work in us. It is he that we're tethered to in this lifetime. He will never fail. Oh, brothers and sisters, put your hope in God. But not only do we look to the hope that we have for this life. But we look to the life that is to come. Turn to almost the very back of your Bible to Revelation chapter 21. For what are we hoping for? We're hoping for... God to continue to sustain us in this life, but we're also looking for the life to come. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, I, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Do you look forward to that day? Jesus even said it right here. Write this down, John, for this is trustworthy and true. I will dwell with you forever. I will be your God. You will be my people. That's what we look forward to. So, like the, like the saints of the Old Testament, we have to look back in order to hope forward. We look back to the advent. We look back to the cross we look back to the empty tomb and it propels us to look forward to all the hope that we have in God, both for this life and in the life to come. But before we conclude today, I wanted to draw your attention um, to a brief point here on the difference between optimism and biblical hope. What we're talking about here isn't optimism. I think people that know me would say that generally... I share uh, a fairly optimistic personality. I generally um, see things as hopeful. The glass is half full. You know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's a silver lining on a dark cloud. That's generally my personality. I don't know if, if you're like that or maybe you're more on the pessimistic side of things. Eh, the glass is half empty. It, this is all you know, horrible, whatever it is. But when we talk about biblical hope, we're not talking about optimism. Well, what is optimism? Well, optimism is choosing to see how a circumstance, okay, the, the object here is the circumstance, how a circumstance could end up working out for good. It's that light at the end of the tunnel or the glass half full mentality. What does one do when there doesn't seem to be a light at the end of the tunnel, where there doesn't seem to be a way of escape? where everywhere you turn is fear or pain or struggle or seeming hopelessness. See, what does the optimist do in that situation? When there, there is no way of escape. There's no abiding hope there. This is why we need a solid understanding of what true hope is and where that hope comes from. Therefore, biblical hope is not focused or determined by circumstances, okay, but on a person. True hope is focused on a person, not circumstances. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what we defined biblical hope is at the beginning. I'll remind you, the biblical hope is the confident expectation, the sure certainty that what God has promised in the Bible is true has occurred or will occur in accordance with God's faithfulness. 
we need to make an important biblical observation here. As we look at the examples of those who hoped in the Lord in Scripture, we commonly see that their confident expectation and certainty remained even when there was no evidence that things would get any better. Let me say that again. Many times their confident expectation and certainty remained even when there was no physical evidence that things would get any better. Out of the bottomless pit, hope surged in their hearts. In other words, hope remained even when there was no good reason to have hope. Have you ever been there, my friend? Have you ever been in that situation? Are you there today? There seems to be no reason for hope. See, the optimist is optimistic as long as there's some reason, some possibility. I want to give you some examples from Scripture. Job. Job, who was a righteous man, but the stuff that he was going through gave him no reason to hope. God wasn't answering his, his cries, his pleas for help. It was just one horrific thing after another, heaping on top of Job's head. And even his friends were saying, there's no hope, Job. Even his own wife said, curse God and die. Job 19, 25 and 26. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Here's Job, and, and we know the end of the story, that things did turn around, right? Job didn't know that when he said this. He had no inkling that there was any hope. In fact, he was committed to the idea that he was going to die. He was going to perish. His skin was going to rot in the ground, just like every other person. And yet his hope remained, because his hope was tethered to a Redeemer who was alive. And who would raise him from the dead. Psalm 39, verse 7, the psalmist is writing out of a place similar to Job where there seemed to be no ray of sunshine at all. Persecution after persecution after hardship after hardship. And the psalmist says this, he cries out, And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Lord, I don't see any way out, but my hope is steadfast because... You are steadfast. Romans 4, 17 to 19, give us an example of someone way back in history named Abraham, whose circumstances told him, these promises that God has made me can't come true. There's no physical way. But what does it say about Abraham? As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, 
God has a track record of doing impossible things. Therefore, in hope, speaking of Abraham, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. His hope remained, not because his circumstances told him they should, but because God had promised. And God can do the impossible. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Paul is sharing with the Corinthian believers the difficulties that he was facing. Paul, if you, need a, if you need a litany of the things that Paul went through, look at the book of 2 Corinthians. Look at chapters 10 and 11 and, and on and, and just see what, what he had to endure. But here he's sort of giving a, a summary of his emotional state at the beginning of 2 Corinthians. He says this to these brothers and sisters, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. He wanted to die. Things were so grim for Paul and his companions. He just would rather die. And he thought that's probably what would be the case. But did he lose hope? Although his circumstances were crying out hopeless, the God of the universe is saying there's hope. Indeed, he continues, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril And he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. I don't think Paul is just talking about his earthly persecutions there when he says he will deliver us again. I believe there's a there's a good there's a good chance he was talking about the fact that he thought he would die in his ministry, and eventually he would. But he didn't lose hope because God had proven that he can raise the dead. And so he hoped. So in conclusion, this morning, I want you to think, brothers and sisters in in the Lord, I want you to think of your life today. Be mindful of the circumstances that you face. What hardships do you face? What difficulties, what burdens do you carry? What is your source of hope today? Do you even have hope? If you're struggling to find hope, my encouragement is that you would go back to the home movies of your mind and trace how God has been faithful to you. Can you do that? Go back. Remember what God has done. Remember his mighty deeds on your behalf or behalf of the people that you know or love. And here's another encouragement. 
Maybe you're in a place today where you can't. The hole is so deep. The darkness is so dark that you're having problems remembering what God has done. Here's my encouragement to you. That if you can't recall his faithfulness in your life, ask a brother or sister here today to recall how God has been faithful in their lives. Maybe that will spur you on to hopefulness in our faithful Father. If you can't be strong, God provides people to help you. Ask them their story. Maybe all they'll do is tell you a story about how God has been faithful to them. Maybe all they'll do is read you a passage of scripture. But ask them to help you see God's faithfulness if you're having problems seeing it yourself. Read the Bible. Dive into the book and see the timeless and the scores of examples of God's faithfulness and his promise-keeping ways. My plea to you, brothers and sisters in Christ, hope in God. Hope in God. That's where your hope is found. Maybe you're here today and you have not personally trusted Christ as your Savior. And as such, you have no true hope either now or in eternity. But if I'm talking to you this morning, that can all change today. Think on Jesus Christ, that sinless Son of God that came to give his life as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for your sins on the cross. Consider that if you would trust in his work on your behalf, he will forgive your sins. He will grant you eternal life with him. And all of his promises made in scripture will be yes for you. That's the hope of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. So, spiritually lost friend, find true hope in Jesus today. And if that's you this morning and you're here and you're, it sounds good, but I don't really quite understand all that. Um, I want to encourage you to find someone, maybe someone you came with. Turn to them and say, what does this Jesus dying on the cross stuff mean? Come talk to me, talk to Pastor Rick, talk to any number of people in this room. Ask him, help me think about this Jesus guy and what this salvation means so that you can leave the doors of this place with hope, unshakable, immovable. And not hope because you're so great, not hope because you're so strong, hope because he is steadfast for you. This morning we're going to close by singing the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And there's good reason for that. It's one of my favorite hymns. But before we sing that, I wanted to read to you the lyrics of a song that's one of my favorites. Uh, it's by an artist named Sarah Groves. The song is entitled, 
He's always been faithful. May it encourage you to have hope. Morning by morning, I wake up to find the power and comfort of God's hand in mine. Season by season, I watch him amazed in awe of the mystery of his perfect ways. All I have need of is his hand will provide. He's always been faithful to me. I can't remember a trial or a pain. He did not recycle to bring me gain. I can't remember one single regret in serving God only and trusting his hand. All I have need of, his hand will provide. He's always been faithful to me. This is my anthem. This is my song. The theme of the stories I've heard for so long. God has been faithful. He will be again. His loving compassion. It knows no end. All I have need of, his hand will provide. He's always been faithful to me. Our Father, I ask that you would grant us to hope in Christ, your Son, who is our Savior, our steadfast Lord, the lover of our soul, who will never let us go, will never leave us nor forsake us. Father, help us to be reminded of your faithful deeds in the past, that that would buoy our hope for the future. And may we encourage each other in that hope. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.